the decay of lying an observation part one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by martin geeson james joyce in context volume 1 telemachus the decay of lying an observation part 1 by oscar wilde a dialogue persons cyril and vivian scene the library of a country house in nottinghamshire cyril coming in through the open window from the terrace my dear vivian don't coop yourself up all day in the library it is a perfectly lovely afternoon the air is exquisite there is a mist upon the woods like the purple bloom upon a plum let us go and lie on the grass and smoke cigarettes and enjoy nature vivian enjoy nature i am glad to say that i have entirely lost that faculty people tell us that art makes us love nature more than we loved her before that it reveals her secrets to us and that after a careful study of corot and constable we see things in her that had escaped our observation my own experience is that the more we study art the less we care for nature what art really reveals to us is nature's lack of design her curious crudities her extraordinary monotony her absolutely unfinished condition nature has good intentions of course but as aristotle once said she cannot carry them out when i look at a landscape i cannot help seeing all its defects it is fortunate for us however that nature is so imperfect as otherwise we should have no art at all art is our spirited protest our gallant attempt to teach nature her proper place as for the infinite variety of nature that is a pure myth it is not to be found in nature herself it resides in the imagination or fancy or cultivated blindness of the man who looks at her cyril well you need not look at the landscape you can lie on the grass and smoke and talk vivian but nature is so uncomfortable grass is hard and lumpy and damp and full of dreadful black insects why even morris's poorest workman could make you a more comfortable seat than the whole of nature can nature pales before the furniture of the street from which oxford has borrowed its name as the poet you love so much once vilely phrased it i don't complain if nature had been comfortable mankind would never have invented architecture and i prefer houses to the open air 
in a house we all feel of the proper proportions everything is subordinated to us fashioned for our use and our pleasure egotism itself which is so necessary to a proper sense of human dignity is entirely the result of indoor life out of doors one becomes abstract and impersonal one's individuality absolutely leaves one and then nature is so indifferent so unappreciative whenever i am walking in the park here i always feel that i am no more to her than the cattle that browse on the slope or the burdock that blooms in the ditch nothing is more evident than that nature hates mind thinking is the most unhealthy thing in the world and people die of it just as they die of any other disease fortunately in england at any rate thought is not catching our splendid physique as a people is entirely due to our national stupidity i only hope we shall be able to keep this great historic bulwark of our happiness for many years to come but i am afraid that we are beginning to be over-educated at least everybody who is incapable of learning has taken to teaching that is really what our enthusiasm for education has come to in the meantime you had better go back to your wearisome uncomfortable nature and leave me to correct my proofs cyril writing an article that is not very consistent after what you have just said vivian who wants to be consistent the dullard and the doctrinaire the tedious people who carry out their principles to the bitter end of action to the reductio ad absurdum of practice not i like emerson i write over the door of my library the word whim besides my article is really a most salutary and valuable warning if it is attended to there may be a new renaissance of art cyril what is the subject vivian i intend to call it the decay of lying a protest cyril lying i should have thought that our politicians kept up that habit vivian i assure you that they do not they never rise beyond the level of misrepresentation and actually condescend to prove to discuss to argue how different from the temper of the true liar with his frank fearless statements his superb irresponsibility his healthy natural disdain of proof of any kind after all what is a fine lie simply that which is its own evidence if a man is sufficiently unimaginative to produce evidence in support of a lie he might just as well speak the truth at once no the politicians won't do something may perhaps be urged on behalf of the bar the mantle of the sophist has fallen on its members 
their feigned ardours and unreal rhetoric are delightful they can make the worse appear the better cause as though they were fresh from leontine schools and have been known to wrest from reluctant juries triumphant verdicts of acquittal for their clients even when those clients as often happens were clearly and unmistakably innocent but they are briefed by the prosaic and are not ashamed to appeal to precedent in spite of their endeavours the truth will out newspapers even have degenerated they may now be absolutely relied upon one feels it as one wades through their columns it is always the unreadable that occurs i am afraid there is not much to be said in favour of either the lawyer or the journalist besides what i am pleading for is lying in art shall i read you what i have written it might do you a great deal of good cyril certainly if you give me a cigarette thanks by the way what magazine do you intend it for vivian for the retrospective review i think i told you that the elect had revived it cyril whom do you mean by the elect vivian oh the tired hedonists of course it is a club to which i belong we are supposed to wear faded roses in our buttonholes when we meet and to have a sort of cult for domitian i am afraid you are not eligible you are too fond of simple pleasures cyril i should be black-balled on the ground of animal spirits i suppose vivian probably besides you are a little too old we don't admit anybody who is of the usual age cyril well i should fancy you are all a good deal bored with each other vivian we are this is one of the objects of the club now if you promise not to interrupt too often i will read you my article cyril ah you will find me all attention vivian reading in a very clear musical voice <coughs> the decay of lying a protest one of the chief causes that can be assigned for the curiously commonplace character of most of the literature of our age is undoubtedly the decay of lying as an art a science and a social pleasure the ancient historians gave us delightful fiction in the form of fact the modern novelist presents us with dull facts under the guise of fiction the blue book is rapidly becoming his ideal both for method and manner he has his tedious document humain his miserable little coin de la création into which he peers with his microscope he is to be found at the librairie nationale or at the british museum shamelessly reading up his subject he has not even the courage of other people's ideas but insists on going directly to life for everything and ultimately between encyclopedias and personal experience 
he comes to the ground having drawn his types from the family circle or from the weekly washerwoman and having acquired an amount of useful information from which never even in his most meditative moments can he thoroughly free himself the loss that results to literature in general from this false ideal of our time can hardly be overestimated people have a careless way of talking about a born liar just as they talk about a born poet but in both cases they are wrong lying and poetry are arts arts as pinto saw not unconnected with each other and they require the most careful study the most disinterested devotion indeed they have their technique just as the more material arts of painting and sculpture have their subtle secrets of form and colour their craft mysteries their deliberate artistic methods as one knows the poet by his fine music so one can recognize the liar by his rich rhythmic utterance and in neither case will the casual inspiration of the moment suffice here as elsewhere practice must precede perfection but in modern days while the fashion of writing poetry has become far too common and should if possible be discouraged the fashion of lying has almost fallen into disrepute many a young man starts in life with a natural gift for exaggeration which if nurtured in congenial and sympathetic surroundings or by the imitation of the best models might grow into something really great and wonderful but as a rule he comes to nothing he either falls into careless habits of accuracy cyril my dear fellow vivian please don't interrupt in the middle of a sentence <clears throat> he either falls into careless habits of accuracy or takes to frequenting the society of the aged and the well-informed both things are equally fatal to his imagination as indeed they would be fatal to the imagination of anybody and in a short time he develops a morbid and unhealthy faculty of truth-telling begins to verify all statements made in his presence has no hesitation in contradicting people who are much younger than himself and often ends by writing novels which are so lifelike that no one can possibly believe in their probability this is no isolated instance that we are giving it is simply one example out of many and if something cannot be done to check or at least to modify our monstrous worship of facts art will become sterile and beauty will pass away from the land even mr robert louis stevenson that delightful master of delicate and fanciful prose is tainted with this modern vice for we know positively no other name for it there is such a thing as robbing a story of its reality by trying to make it too true 
and the black arrow is so inartistic as not to contain a single anachronism to boast of while the transformation of dr jekyll reads dangerously like an experiment out of the lancet as for mr rider haggard who really has or had once the makings of a perfectly magnificent liar he is now so afraid of being suspected of genius that when he does tell us anything marvellous he feels bound to invent a personal reminiscence and to put it into a footnote as a kind of cowardly corroboration nor are our other novelists much better mr henry james writes fiction as if it were a painful duty and wastes upon mean motives and imperceptible points of view his neat literary style his felicitous phrases his swift and caustic satire mr hall caine it is true aims at the grandiose but then he writes at the top of his voice he is so loud that one cannot hear what he says mr james payne is an adept in the art of concealing what is not worth finding he hunts down the obvious with the enthusiasm of a short-sighted detective as one turns over the pages the suspense of the author becomes almost unbearable the horses of mr william black's phaeton do not soar towards the sun they merely frighten the sky at evening into violent chromolithographic effects on seeing them approach the peasants take refuge in dialect mrs oliphant prattles pleasantly about curates lawn tennis parties domesticity and other wearisome things mr marion crawford has immolated himself upon the altar of local colour he is like the lady in the french comedy who keeps talking about le beau ciel d'italie besides he has fallen into the bad habit of uttering moral platitudes he is always telling us that to be good is to be good and that to be bad is to be wicked at times he is almost edifying robert ellesmere is of course a masterpiece a masterpiece of the genre ennuyeux the one form of literature that the english people seems thoroughly to enjoy a thoughtful young friend of ours once told us that it reminded him of the sort of conversation that goes on at a meat tea in the house of a serious nonconformist family and we can quite believe it indeed it is only in england that such a book could be produced england is the home of lost ideas as for that great and daily increasing school of novelists for whom the sun always rises in the east end the only thing that can be said about them is that they find life crude and leave it raw in france though nothing so deliberately tedious as robert ellesmere has been produced things are not much better 
Monsieur Guy de Maupassant, with his keen mordant irony and his hard vivid style, strips life of the few poor rags that still cover her, and shows us foul sore and festering wound. He writes lurid little tragedies in which everybody is ridiculous bitter comedies at which one cannot laugh for very tears monsieur zola true to the lofty principle that he lays down in one of his pronunciamentos on literature l'homme de genie n'a jamais d'esprit is determined to show that if he has not got genius he can at least be dull and how well he succeeds he is not without power indeed at times as in germinal there is something almost epic in his work but his work is entirely wrong from beginning to end and wrong not on the ground of morals but on the ground of art from any ethical standpoint it is just what it should be the author is perfectly truthful and describes things exactly as they happen what more can any moralist desire we have no sympathy at all with the moral indignation of our time against m zola it is simply the indignation of tartuffe on being exposed but from the standpoint of art what can be said in favour of the author of l'assommoir nana and Pobouille? nothing Mr. Ruskin once described the characters in George Eliot's novels as being like the sweepings of a Pentonville omnibus, but Monsieur Zola's characters are much worse. They have their dreary vices and their drearier virtues. The record of their lives is absolutely without interest. Who cares what happens to them? in literature we require distinction charm beauty and imaginative power we don't want to be harrowed and disgusted with an account of the doings of the lower orders monsieur daudet is better he has wit a light touch and an amusing style but he has lately committed literary suicide nobody can possibly care for delobelle with his il faut lutter pour l'art or for valmajour with his eternal refrain about the nightingale or for the poet in jack with his mot cruel now that we have learned from vingt ans de ma vie littéraire that these characters were taken directly from life to us they seem to have suddenly lost all their vitality all the few qualities they ever possessed the only real people are the people who never existed and if a novelist is base enough to go to life for his personages he should at least pretend that they are creations and not boast of them as copies the justification of a character in a novel is not that other persons are what they are but that the author is what he is otherwise the novel is not a work of art as for m paul bourget the master of the roman psychologique 
he commits the error of imagining that the men and women of modern life are capable of being infinitely analysed for an innumerable series of chapters. In point of fact, what is interesting about people in good society, and M. Bourget rarely moves out of the Faubourg Saint-Germain, except to come to London, is the mask that each one of them wears, not the reality that lies behind the mask. It is a humiliating confession, but we are all of us made out of the same stuff. In Falstaff there is something of Hamlet. In Hamlet there is not a little of Falstaff. The fat knight has his moods of melancholy, and the young prince his moments of coarse humour. Where we differ from each other is purely in accidentals, in dress, manner, tone of voice, religious opinions, personal appearance, tricks of habit and the like. The more one analyses people, the more all reasons for analysis disappear. Sooner or later one comes to that dreadful universal thing called human nature. Indeed, as anyone who has ever worked among the poor knows only too well, the brotherhood of man is no mere poet's dream. It is a most depressing and humiliating reality. And if a writer insists upon analysing the upper classes, he might just as well write of match-girls and costermongers at once. However, my dear Cyril, I will not detain you any further just here. I quite admit that modern novels have many good points. All I insist on is that, as a class, they are quite unreadable. Cyril, that is certainly a very grave qualification, but I must say that I think you are rather unfair in some of your strictures. I like the Deemster, and the Daughter of Heth, and Le Disciple, and Mr. Isaacs, and as for Robert Ellesmere, I am quite devoted to it. Not that I can look upon it as a serious work, as a statement of the problems that confront the earnest Christian. It is ridiculous and antiquated. It is simply Arnold's literature and dogma with the literature left out. It is as much behind the age as Paley's evidences, or Colenso's method of biblical exegesis. Nor could anything be less impressive than the unfortunate hero gravely heralding a dawn that rose long ago and so completely missing its true significance that he proposes to carry on the business of the old firm under the new name. On the other hand, it contains several clever caricatures, and a heap of delightful quotations, and Green's philosophy very pleasantly sugars the somewhat bitter pill of the author's fiction. I also cannot help expressing my surprise that you have said nothing about the two novelists whom you are always reading, Balzac and George Meredith. Surely they are realists, both of them. Vivian. Ah, Meredith, 
who can define him his style is chaos illumined by flashes of lightning as a writer he has mastered everything except language as a novelist he can do everything except tell a story as an artist he is everything except articulate somebody in shakespeare touchstone i think talks about a man who is always breaking his shins over his own wit and it seems to me that this might serve as the basis for a criticism of meredith's method but whatever he is he is not a realist or rather i would say that he is a child of realism who is not on speaking terms with his father by deliberate choice he has made himself a romanticist he has refused to bow the knee to baal and after all even if the man's fine spirit did not revolt against the noisy assertions of realism his style would be quite sufficient of itself to keep life at a respectful distance by its means he has planted round his garden a hedge full of thorns and red with wonderful roses as for balzac he was a most remarkable combination of the artistic temperament with the scientific spirit the latter he bequeathed to his disciples the former was entirely his own the difference between such a book as monsieur zola's l'assommoir and balzac's illusion perdue is the difference between unimaginative realism and imaginative reality all balzac's characters said baudelaire are gifted with the same ardour of life that animated himself all his fictions are as deeply coloured as dreams each mind is a weapon loaded to the muzzle with will the very scullions have genius a steady course of balzac reduces our living friends to shadows and our acquaintances to the shadows of shades his characters have a kind of fervent fiery-coloured existence they dominate us and defy scepticism one of the greatest tragedies of my life is the death of lucien de rubempre it is a grief from which i have never been able completely to rid myself it haunts me in my moments of pleasure i remember it when i laugh but balzac is no more a realist than holbein was he created life he did not copy it i admit however that he set far too high a value on modernity of form and that consequently there is no book of his that as an artistic masterpiece can rank with salambo or esmond or the cloister and the hearth or the vicomte de bragelonne cyril do you object to modernity of form then vivian yes it is a huge price to pay for a very poor result pure modernity of form is always somewhat vulgarizing it cannot help being so 
the public imagine that because they are interested in their immediate surroundings art should be interested in them also and should take them as her subject matter but the mere fact that they are interested in these things makes them unsuitable subjects for art the only beautiful things as somebody once said are the things that do not concern us as long as a thing is useful or necessary to us or affects us in any way either for pain or for pleasure or appeals strongly to our sympathies or is a vital part of the environment in which we live it is outside the proper sphere of art to art's subject matter we should be more or less indifferent we should at any rate have no preferences no prejudices no partisan feeling of any kind it is exactly because hecuba is nothing to us that her sorrows are such an admirable motive for a tragedy i do not know anything in the whole history of literature sadder than the artistic career of charles reed he wrote one beautiful book the cloister and the hearth a book as much above romola as romola is above daniel deronda and wasted the rest of his life in a foolish attempt to be modern to draw public attention to the state of our convict prisons and the management of our private lunatic asylums charles dickens was depressing enough in all conscience when he tried to arouse our sympathy for the victims of the poor law administration but charles reed an artist a scholar a man with a true sense of beauty raging and roaring over the abuses of contemporary life like a common pamphleteer or a sensational journalist is really a sight for the angels to weep over believe me my dear cyril modernity of form and modernity of subject matter are entirely and absolutely wrong we have mistaken the common livery of the age for the vesture of the muses and spend our days in the sordid streets and hideous suburbs of our vile cities when we should be out on the hillside with apollo certainly we are a degraded race and have sold our birthright for a mess of facts End of The Decay of Lying An Observation Part 1 Recording by Martin Giessen In Hazelmere, Surrey